0: have been. Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul, of course, writing to the church at Corinth, and he's writing in regards to a great many problems that over time had cropped up in that church. It is really rather amazing whenever you consider the fact that he began the letter by telling them that they had come behind in no in no gift whatsoever. In other words, they possessed all of the spiritual gifts that God had provided for his people. They had every opportunity, every possibility, and yet as a result of internal strife in the church, they just literally handcuffed themselves and... Uh, fell flat on their face spiritually speaking so in the first part of this chapter we find them evidently getting ready to go to court one against the other somebody had offended one of the others or owed someone and so they're going to take it to the secular courts and Paul is rebuking them for that but when we come down to verse 9 I want you to notice what he says Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. As I mentioned, the context of this passage here has to do with uh, how we relate to others. And far too many times we, even as Christians, behave like unsaved people rather than God's children and I want you to notice the key to this section is found in verse 11 where he says and such were some of you in other words he is talking about a complete change of character and as a result of that they ought to behave differently from others I think everyone would agree that it's obvious that something is wrong with man. Just look at mankind across the board from pole to pole and regardless of where you look, it's obvious that there is something seriously wrong and there are things that need to be changed But the problem is this goes on generation after generation, century after century, and still we just keep failing. It's as though that we recognize the problem, but we're unable to get our act together, unable to implement the changes that need to be made. And uh, today I want you to see that although we can't change We can't change in the way that we ought to. The fact is we can be changed. We can't make the change, but we can be changed. That's the difference between religion and Christianity. Religion has to do with what we do. Christianity has to do with what God does. Religion is about me changing me. Christianity is about God changing me. Religion is about reformation, whereas Christianity is about regeneration, which means the impartation of life. The bad news is that we're all sinners by nature. The good news is we don't have to stay that way. Years ago, we often used a word that's seldom heard nowadays, and it's the word convert, or conversion, we spoke about people being converted, changed, because everybody recognized that when you become a Christian, things began to change, and that's what Christianity is. It is a conversion. It is a change that Christ makes, so Christians are those that have been converted, converted in their beliefs, converted in their behavior. It's a miracle that takes place at the very moment that we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I hope that if you're on the mailing list that you read Morning Manna this morning based on 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Amen. Amen. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. We're not what we used to be if we've been saved. So regardless of who you are, what you've done, change is possible. And change comes as a result of us putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And When that happens, it changes the tenses of our life. Note, notice verse 11. There's two key words here, the word were and the word are. He says, and such were. That's past tense. That's what you used to be, but now, notice he says, but ye are. So there's been a change. Christians are not what they were. It's interesting to take note of the many times that The Bible uses the word new in reference to God's people. For example, there is the new birth. Jesus said a man must be born again. So there's the new birth. It speaks about a new creation. It speaks about the new man. It speaks about new life. It speaks about a new heart. It speaks about a new name. It speaks about a new song. Isn't that great that God specializes in making things new? The life that he gives is not the old life made over because you don't need a new start. You need a new heart. You don't need to turn over a new leaf. You need life. Because up until the moment that we receive Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says all of our righteousnesses, that's in the plural, In other words, regardless of what we suppose is good about us, he says, they're all as filthy rags. Soiled and spoiled and ruined and despised. And yet the Lord says, I make all things new. He can take that which is worthless and make it a masterpiece. You talk about an extreme makeover. I mean, that's it. Now, if God is able and willing to change us, why do we remain as we are? That really just doesn't make good sense. We look at the world and we say this world is a mess. There's something terribly wrong with it. There needs to be a change and we recognize that and we put forth our human effort, but what we fail to do When I say we, I'm talking about mankind in general. Man refuses to turn to God so he can initiate the change. And so we go on satisfied with our religion, our do nothing religion, making one effort after another and never really changing anything. But it's possible. Isn't that good news to, to know it's possible? You know, when Adam sinned, God could have looked down and said, Boy, you've made a mess of everything I created. I, I'm going to wash my hands of you and of earth, and I'm just going to step back and leave it with you. Aren't you glad he didn't do that? Instead the Bible says that God looked down from heaven. He looked down and he saw the sons of men. That they had sinned against him. But then the Bible says he came down. He didn't just leave us in our horrible condition. He came down in the person of Christ. And made the sacrifice that enables change to come. So that's possible for every single person. But. For that to happen, there are some things that that we have to recognize. Notice in verse number 9 and 10, this is the first thing. If you're going to experience the change that the Lord makes, this is what must happen. You have to affirm God's prognosis of your life. Notice what he says, verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. And then he goes on and enumerates. We want to argue about that. Right? I mean, we seemingly don't have any problem with that. God says, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. and We've got the attitude, well, huh. You know, I know I'm not what I'm su- supposed to be, maybe. I don't measure up to your standard. My behavior's not satisfactory in your sight, but boy, I'm a Christian. I joined the church. I was baptized. I give a lot of money. I, I, I'm okay. No, no you're not. Because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every person by nature is a dirty, rotten, filthy sin. I don't know how else to say it. I can't, I can't use strong enough language to emphasize how bad off we are. That's true of everybody that has not yet received Christ as their Savior. So when he says the unrighteous, and he's not here speaking about a particular class of sinners, that just includes all that have never been saved. Well, we examine ourselves, and we uh, we say, well, you know, I, yeah, I, I I don't claim to be a good Christian or anything, but boy, I'm not as bad as I could be. I I've never robbed a bank, I never slid anybody's throat, you know, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, and I'm not as bad as I could be, surely if, like Bloomberg just said, that uh, really this, it was a quote that that he ought to get to heaven because of what he did uh, against gun owners. Can you imagine somebody thinking that they punched their ticket to heaven because of a political stance that they've taken? You say, well, how crazy is that? It's not one bit more crazy than somebody saying that I've got to be baptized or I've got to join the church or I've got to give a money or I've got to be a good neighbor in order to get to heaven. So i got news for you. You can't do enough to get to heaven. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what the Lord does. And all you can do is to accept his prognosis that we have all sinned. You may not be as bad as you could be, but you're as bad off as you could be. Because without Christ you'll go to the same devil's hell as the whoremonger. As the rapist as every vile person that your mind can imagine. And notice Paul then having said that gets specific. And he identifies ten different groups of sinners. And this, this is not intended to be an exhaustive list by the way. This is for the sake of illustration. Notice he says be not deceived. Neither fornicators. Well, I know some Baptists, they don't have any problem with that at all. Man, I'm a Christian, I'm a Baptist, and boy, I'm on my way to heaven, and they don't, they don't have any problem with that. My Bible says they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. They didn't stop there. Nor adulterers, huh. nor effeminate. Yeah, really. Or abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves. Now you say, I'm doing pretty good so far. How about this one? Nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners notice shall inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. God said that. Let that sink in for a little while. Think about it. He says none of these folks are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, Maybe you're thinking, well, my, do we have to be perfect to get to heaven? No, you can't be perfect. You're not perfect. And by the way, Paul is not saying that it's impossible for a Christian to commit these sins. He's not saying that. It is possible. You'll be out of the will of God, and as a child of God, you'll be chastised for your sin. Mark it down, that will happen. You can't get by with it. But it doesn't mean that you lose your relationship with God. It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. If you could lose your salvation, you already have. Because from the moment that you got saved, don't tell me that you've never sinned. I've never met someone that hasn't been covetous for momentarily anyway. And he says, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You see here, the difference is that for the Christian, for the child of God, the person that has truly been saved, that will no longer be their lifestyle. That's not what they will do habitually. It might happen occasionally because as we know, being imperfect, there are times that we all act out of character. I suspect... That if someone walked over there and slapped my wife, if you're a man, I'm going to do my best to beat you to a pulp before you can get out the door. I I just really, I mean, I know me and I suspect that's what I'm going to try to do. As old and crippled up as I am, I have a hard time doing it, but I'd make the effort. Now that would be out of character because I don't go around trying to beat up people. I haven't done that since I, since I become a Christian. I did that before then, but after I got saved, I stopped that nonsense. I was a drunkard before I got saved, but when I got saved, I stopped that lifestyle. I say, I stopped. God changed me. It's not something I did, but God changed me. But you see, nobody will ever be saved till they get to that point that first of all, they have to affirm what God has decreed that we've all sinned. You're not good enough to get to heaven regardless of what you do. You're a sinner. You you have to recognize that. But it doesn't stop there. We have to also acknowledge God's power to save. Look at verse number 11. He says, and such were some of you. You see, there are some folks that will acknowledge that they're sinners, but they fail to believe that God is willing or able to forgive them and to change them. I'm glad that God is both able and willing to forgive us and to change us. That's what grace is all about. The grace of God, that's what we need, but we don't deserve. And the Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. You get baptized in the creek till every tadpole knew you by your first name, and that wouldn't get you to heaven. The only way to get to heaven is by your faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is acknowledging the fact that it is by God's power that we are saved. Such were some of you. That's what you used to be. But you're not that way anymore. God has the power to change us love that old song what a wonderful what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart many years ago it was actually just a a few years after I'd started preaching Doug Oldham was singing for Jerry Falwell in his national broadcast back then and he sang a song that just well it seemed like it It's been my personal history. It's called Thanks to Calvary. Wow, I I don't think I've ever had a song hit home so much. Thanks to Calvary. I'm not the man that I used to be. And he talked about, he talked about the places that he used to go, but in the song it says, I don't go there anymore. He spoke about, my little boy ran and hid behind the door, but I told him, "Son, you don't need to. You don't need to worry now. You, you've got a brand new daddy." And I'd listen to that song, and I would think about when we lived way out on Chestnut Street in Springfield, Missouri, and and uh, I can remember leaving the house and Kathy crying because she had no idea what in the world was going on. Mom and Dad fussing and fighting and I, I'm going out the door again and them not knowing when I would be back. That was the the time after that that for the first and only time they have finally took enough and said, I'm going to get a divorce and file papers and they tried to find me and couldn't find me. Thank God, serve the papers on me and and... Thankfully, by the grace of God, she decided to give me another chance, and that, that other chance led to, led to me trusting Christ as my Savior. And God changed me, and Kathy and Debbie and Tracy had a brand-new daddy after that. I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. We have to acknowledge God's power. Because salvation is not something that we can do. It is a supernatural work of God. And Then notice verse 11, the last part of it. We have to accept God's provision. N- notice how that Paul explains what changes and why it changes. Notice what he cleanses us. Notice the word washed. He, he cleanses us from our filth. He claims us. Notice the word sanctified. That means set apart. Made holy in the sense that now we're sanctified. Our life has been set apart for God. And then notice that he cancels our sin. It says we are justified. Justified. What does that mean? Well, somebody said that means just as if I had never sinned. Well, that gets pretty close. It literally is speaking about being declared not guilty. Isn't that wonderful? Being declared not guilty. We look at our record and think of all of the sinful, vile things that we've done and think about how bad we are. And here comes the grace of God and saves us. Delivers us from our sin. Amen. And God says, The record's clear today, for I washed your sins away. The old account was settled long ago. Justified. Justified. God just cleared the record. The guilt, the condemnation removed. Our position has been changed, and that produces a personal change in our In our lifestyle, we were defiled, but now we're clean. We were depraved, and now he says we're holy. We were damned, but now he says we're justified. That's the what, but notice the why. Verse 11, notice two things he says in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says there's none other name. Under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. I mean there is no other name. No other way. Only Jesus. He is the only mediator between God and man. There's nobody else. And notice he says. And by the spirit of our God. The same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead comes to live in our heart the moment we put our trust in Him as our Lord and Savior. He is the one that gives us that life, plants spiritual life within us. Now, the question this morning is, where are you? Which tents describes you are you what they were or are you what they became Paul said you were this is what you were but now this this is what you are it makes a difference folks it makes a difference in your eternal destiny whether you go to heaven or hell is determined by which tense you're in but it also makes a difference now. I've often said, if there was no heaven and no hell, the Christian life would still be the best life that a person could live. And I believe that with all of my heart. It makes a difference. It makes a difference in our conduct, in our attitude, in our welfare. It makes a difference in our relationships. And that's what Paul is trying to get these people to see. He's saying to them, look how you're treating one another. You're acting like you used to be. Stop it. Because now, he says, now you've been justified. You've been made holy, sanctified, set apart for God. How dare you behave in a manner that's inconsistent with that? It's so sad to see people caught, as, as the Old Testament prophet described it, like a wild bull in a net. And he was talking about enslavement to sin, and that's that describes every unsaved person. And it reminds me of the fact that before I was saved, before I knew anything about the Lord... I had reached a point that I no longer wanted to be what I was. I really didn't. I wanted to be a better father to my girls. I wanted to be a better husband to my wife. I, that's what I wanted to be, but, I, but it's like I was trapped. As Paul said, taken captive of the devil at his will, and that I didn't see any hope. And it's so sad to see people that think there is no hope. They've come to believe that my life is hopeless. That I can never change. That I guess fate will determine my future. Let me tell you, it's foolish presumption for you to think that the God who created man cannot change man. You see, with God, there's always hope for those who trust Him. There's hope because God can help. He can help the helpless. He can save the sinfulness. He can deliver those that are doomed and redeem those that are ruined and regenerate those that are rotten and change those that are corrupt. And I know because He saved a wretch like me. It was John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace that made the statement that I quoted in part a while ago. Before he died, he said to a friend, he said, I am not all that I should be or what I want to be, but thank God, I'm not what I used to be. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know there's hope. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You, you could become a child of God right now before this service ends. Simply by placing your faith in what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. Depending upon him to forgive you and to save you and to take you to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Will you come to him this morning? Let's stand together. Father, I pray this morning that you'll speak to our hearts, that each and every one of us that have been saved, that we might might be reminded of of the great things that you've done in our life. And that we might be reminded of our great responsibility toward you and the responsibility that we have toward others. And I pray especially this morning for that man or woman, maybe a boy or girl that's here today. Maybe they feel like I did at one time, just trapped where they are. No hope, no peace, no real joy or satisfaction. And I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will work on their heart. And they'll stop trying and start trusting. Trusting you to save them for Jesus' sake. For we beg it in his dear name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing. Would you come this morning if you're awaiting baptism or if God's leading you to this church, whatever it is, would you come while we sing? blind but thank god now i can see last week i think most of you remember carlos escalante i think i pronounced that right carlos trusted christ as his savior and today he's coming to present himself for baptism what's the favor of the church regarding that amen all in favor, let be known by the uplift of the hand, all opposed like sign, and there, there's certainly none of that. I'm going to leave the service now and go with Carlos, and we're going to go get ready for the baptismal service and turn this over to Brother Kenneth. And, and, and I'm going to suggest that he sing another verse here because there just might be someone here today and the devil's almost convinced you, if I can just get out of here and away from this, I'll never come back and I'll feel better. No, you won't. I'm telling you, I serve a God that'll follow you home. I serve a God that'll whisper in your ear when you go to bed at night and you're not going to run away from God without him speaking to your heart. Amen. You might as well just give up right now. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. Let's sing. Carlos.
1: It was grace that taught my heart to and grace my fears relieved, how precious did that grace. The sun. We've no less taste To sing God's grace Than when we first begun Let's sing that first verse again Amazing grace How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see.
2: Well, did you catch it in the message? Did you hear in the sermon? what we can connect that's about to happen right now. And that is that Carlos is already saved. He's already saved from all of his sins. Today is not the day of his salvation. That was last Sunday. But he will give a picture. He will express his faith outwardly by baptism. You know, if you think about it, it just wouldn't make sense that we could submit to something outwardly that anyone could walk through the motions of and be right with God. God works on the heart. He works from the inside out. And so we're saved by faith. We're not saved by anything else. Nothing's going to be washed away in the baptistry. No sins, no old life, nothing else. It's what Jesus has done for us. Now, it's a beautiful thing. It's the first act of obedience we ought to do to express our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But is there someone here today that the Lord is working on you within? He's pulling and drawing your heart within that you might be saved from your sins by believing. By believing on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Tell you what,
1: listen.